So what would you do if all of a sudden you came into a big sum of money, a large fortune? What would you do? A lot of us would first look at the house we're living in and think, I could do better, right? And there's a show out there that Mary and I like to watch. It's uh, My Lottery show where where uh, these lottery winners go and they they uh, they they look at all these different houses and sometimes they get these uh, uh, relatively mo- modest houses but sometimes they get these fantastic homes and you sit and you think and you dream what would it be like if I was given a large sum of money and your answer might differ based on who asks you that right And in here, as we're in the church building, we might sit and think, well, we would give it all to God, right? (laughs) That might be the good answer. But I'll tell you what I think you might do if you all of a sudden came into a very large sum of money. You would probably do just like you're doing now. I was looking at some statistics of lottery winners. And the National Endowment for Financial Education says that 70% of people that win the lottery spend every bit of that jackpot winning in the first five years. And we think, well, yeah, someone said, I heard, wow. Well, how many of us live paycheck to paycheck? How many of us spend every bit that we have? Well, probably 70% of Americans do. And so what that tells me is if you come into a large sum of money, if you are, are blessed with this, this large sum of money uh, somehow, if you're a saver, you're probably going to save. If you give generously, you'll probably give generously. And if you waste your money, you will probably waste your money. Because that's how we live. Based, it doesn't matter how much more money we make, our habits typically stay the same. And so, today's lesson, I think, uh, is going to be a little challenging for us. I know it's challenging for me because Jesus is wanting us to kind of turn the world upside down in the way we think of what we want in this world and the things of this world. And we're going to have to be outsiders to this world sometimes because of the way Jesus calls us to live. And today we're going to be in Luke chapter 12. And as we're in Luke chapter 12, remember we are, uh, Jesus is making his way to Jerusalem. He's making his way to the cross. And as he's making his way to the cross, he's doing some pretty incredible things. And he's getting quite a following. So Luke chapter 12 verse 1 says, Meanwhile, when a crowd of many thousands had gathered so that they were trampling on one another, Jesus began to speak to his disciples saying, be on guard against the yeast of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. There is nothing concealed that will not be disclosed or hidden that will not be made known. I always thought this was an interesting saying of Jesus when he talks about the yeast of the Pharisees. And every time I hear the word yeast, I think of rolls because my mother might make the best yeast rolls that uh, exist in this world. 
And I always like Thanksgiving or Christmas, whenever we go there, and I see on the counter laid out are these little piles of dough with, I guess, a towel over them or a cloth or something. I never make the yeast rolls, but I watch them rise up. And what I think Jesus is saying here is the yeast, you can't really see it when it's in the dough. But you're going to see its effect as it takes time. As the yeast works through the dough slowly, you'll see what happens with the yeast. And the yeast of the Pharisees would show that their hearts were sinful. And and Jesus is trying to let us know if we carry sin in our heart, man might not see it at first, but eventually it's going to make itself known. And if your heart is for the goodness of God and trying to keep His, His commands and trying to show His love to, or your love to Him and to your, and to your neighbor, it's going to work its way from the inside out and it will show. And Jesus wants His disciples to realize there's lots of people following Him, but there's a lot of people that haven't turned their heart towards Him. A lot of people wanted from Jesus certain things. They wanted what Jesus would give to them, but they didn't want to give their heart to Jesus. And so as they're standing in front of the crowd and Jesus is teaching and he's trying to teach the the, the way to eternal life, the way to his kingdom. There's people in the crowd that are ready for Jesus to do something for them. And in verse 13, it says, someone in the crowd said to him, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. And so this is a man that's standing in the crowd and and we don't know the whole situation, but we know that he wants some money. And as a as a teacher of the law, especially in 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 this among the Jewish people. They were able to make certain rulings and the people would typically listen to them they were they 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 were uh they were like arbiters between these people people would go to the teacher and the teacher would would tell them what he found the ruling to be but jesus didn't have any interest in that and realistically i don't know if the man had any interest in jesus really listening to the case and deciding who was right and where the money should go Jesus did not come to bring property to people. Jesus came to bring people to God. To bring people to the Father. And so Jesus, if you ever ask Him something, sometimes you're not going to get the, the, the answer that you're, you were thinking you're going to get or maybe the answer you initially were hoping for, but Jesus is going to give you something a whole lot better. He's going to give you an eternal answer. He's going to give you something that's going to solve your real problem because what we see here, this man thought he could solve all his problems if he had a little bit of money. He thought money was going to be his salvation. He thought money was the answer. He didn't come to Jesus and talk to him about, hey, my brother and I are are struggling with this issue. He didn't care about the family. He cared about greed. 
and money at the time. And so Jesus, in his wisdom, tells a parable. And in these parables, Jesus wants us to imagine what it's like to live in this upside down kingdom, to no longer be outsiders from this world, to be insiders into his kingdom. And to see the things the way our God sees them. So Jesus says, man who appointed me judge or arbiter between you. Watch out. Be on guard against all kinds of greed. For life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. The second time in this chapter that he's told him, watch out. Watch out for the hypocrisy. With the yeast of the Pharisees. And now watch out for the greed that's sprinkled into your heart. That's willing to to lose relationships in your family and friends because you want things of this world. And so he tells this parable, he says, the ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store for myself a surplus of grain. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. And what an interesting thing that we see with this parable. At first, we know that Jesus is probably uh, not, not elevating this man as, as, a, as a great man, this farmer who's all of a sudden had this great crop. That he's just wonderful man. We know something might be wrong with this man, but he's not a dishonest man. There's nothing in there that talks about him being dishonest. As a matter of fact, if we look at it, he sounds like he is a hardworking man. It sounds like he has already made his wealth in his life, through his own hard work, and he's done well for himself. And so a lot of us would look at this man and say, this is a good guy, he's, made, he's worked hard, he's a farmer, he's, he's, he's worked the land, and he's brought forth crops, and he deserves everything he has. That probably makes sense. But this man decides he has a dilemma. And his dilemma is he's got so many crops now. He's got such a great harvest that he has no room for it. But this dilemma turns into an incredible blessing because he realizes now, if I just tear down these barns and I build bigger ones, I don't have to till the land anymore. I don't have to work anymore. I can finally retire and live the good life. This is the good life, right? This is what Americans would all want. This is what we would love is to finally be retired, to sit back and take it easy. And that's what this man is saying is, I finally made it. I finally arrived to the good life. And what's interesting is Jesus uses that phrase, eat, drink, and be merry. And this phrase had been uttered around the time that Jesus was there. 
Because like I, I told you a little bit last week, uh, Greek philosophy was, had an had a incredible impact on this society. And different philosophers had all sorts of impact on this society. And there was one philosopher named Epicurus. And Epicurus had a motto to eat, drink, and be happy. You see, Epicurus, he believed in God. And he told his followers that there is a God, but he didn't think that God ever meddled within the affairs of humans. God was up there and we were down here and we didn't really come in contact with each other. And he told you, you were foolish if you believed in an afterlife. If you believed in anything beyond this world. And so what you need to do with this world is to make sure that you. Make sure you're happy. And so we would tell you to do what makes you happy. If things would make you happy. Do those things. Because that's what this world is all about. Is to do what makes you happy and. I think as we move forward in life, this Epicurean thought probably takes hold pretty good here in the United States today. This thought that we should do whatever makes us happy. Not be concerned with what other people think of us, but do what's good for us. And maybe in, in some toxic relationships, that should be the case. But I think all too often, we just worry about self. We worry about ourselves over everyone else. And so we work hard and we think everything that we've gotten, it's well-deserved. So we're going to do what makes us happy. I remember in college, I used to work destruction restoration. So when a house flooded or when a house uh, caught on fire, I would have to go in and, and uh, whether it floods or whether it catches on fire, it's going to be wet and you're going to have wet carpet because the firemen either flooded or the rainwaters flooded. And so I remember I only worked Monday through Thursday. I always wanted uh, Friday and the weekends off, but we had a big job and my boss asked me if we could, uh, if I could come and work that Friday and Saturday and I wasn't planning on making any any money that weekend I wasn't planning on working but I didn't have anything else going on so I decided okay I can do that and I remember spending all day rolling up old stinky wet carpet if you've never done that you don't ever want to do that it's gross it's heavy it smells but I did it and I came home with an extra Hundred, hundred and fifty dollars that I wasn't even planning on making that week. And I thought to myself, I want to treat myself nice. Because I had this extra money, I had this extra blessing, and so I had to work all this day and I told Mary, Mary, we're going out to the best restaurant in College Station and we go to Royer's. And Royer's had this incredible menu and this guy is a gourmet chef. And I remember exactly what I had. I had the beef tenderloin and I had the Micah's pasta and the Micah's pasta is so delicious. It's the seafood pasta. And now I want to go down to Round Top, Texas to go to Royer's because this was fantastic. And he made all his pies homemade. 
think I had a buttermilk pie that day. And I celebrated myself and my hard work. Because that's what we should do. We celebrate when we work hard. We celebrate when we received great rewards. You see, I think as we look in this life, we celebrate us. We look out for number one. And the answer to our problems is making sure that we're going to be happy. The answer to our salvation is giving ourselves whatever makes us happy. That's the answer. And I look around in society today and maybe I look in my own life. And I think we have a whole lot more followers of Epicurus than we might have followers of Jesus. We might have a lot more followers of those that want to eat, drink, and be merry than we have followers of Jesus because Jesus is about to give some incredible wisdom here. He says, but God said to him, you fool. This very night, your life will be demanded of you. And then who will get what you prepared for yourself? This, will be, this is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich towards God. Jesus tells them that he's being a fool. And why is he being a fool? Why has Jesus come out with these strong words that you're being foolish? Because if you look at the beginning of this parable, it talks about that this man was blessed with an abundant harvest. Yes, he worked hard. But he never saw that the abundant harvest came from God. He saw it just came from his own hands. He never realized that God has blessed him with the strength in his arms to be able to farm this land. He never saw that God blessed him with good health to do this. He never saw that God might have blessed him in a wonderful family that was able to provide this to him so that he could now provide for himself and retire early. Did he work hard? Absolutely. But he never acknowledged God. And King David says in Psalm 14, the fool says in his heart, there is no God. And we don't, when we don't acknowledge God's blessing in our life, we are, it's like we're not, in, we're not acknowledging God. And so we are foolish. And so what's Jesus saying here? Is He saying that it's sinful to be rich? He's not saying that. Jesus had a lot of rich people that bankrolled His ministry. That paid for Him and His twelve apostles and whoever else were with Him to, to feed them and, and take care of them for three years. And we'll talk more about these people that kind of bankrolled Jesus as, as the weeks come on. So it's not about those that are rich. And it's not about that you shouldn't save up for yourself for a day that 
one day when you're not able to go out and work. Proverbs 6, verses 6 says, Take a lesson from the ants. Learn from their ways and become wise. They labor hard in the summer and they gather food for the winter. And so it's wise to put set aside savings for a time that you can no longer work. And he's not saying you shouldn't allow an inheritance to go to your children if my parents are watching. Proverbs 13.22 says a good man leaves an inheritance to his children and his children's children. So mom, dad, save up a lot of money because you got to pay that forever, right? He's saying for those that are rich, but not rich towards God. And so what that means is when we're looking at how much we need to save for ourselves, where are we putting our trust? Where are we putting our hope? Are we putting that in the almighty dollar? Or are we putting our trust and our hope that God is going to provide for us? Whenever we see needs that come our way, are we looking at those needs and saying, well, I would love to help, but I got to save up just a little bit more because if I don't have this much, I'm not going to be able to make it. And Jesus is trying to let us open our eyes and say, you don't even know what tomorrow is. You need to be saving in eternal banks, making deposits in eternal banks, making deposits in your true future. Not just trusting in the things of this world. It's not where true happiness is. Trust in something eternal. And a lot of you might be sitting here and just like a lot of the crowd was there thinking, well, I'm glad Jesus wasn't talking to me because I don't got nothing. I'm not saving nothing because I don't have enough coming in. I'm worried about my meal tomorrow. And this world's tough. And I think about this world as, as, uh, as bills come in. And more money is owed than money in our paycheck. And I've lived life just waiting for that paycheck to come in the next few days so I could pay these bills. And sometimes I revisit that life every now and again, every other month. Not every other month. But there's times that it comes. And I think about the price of gas as it rises. Will we be able to afford to drive? And the price of groceries as they skyrocket. How are we going to be able to afford this or that? And if you got a 16-year-old that started driving, you realize your insurance rates just all of a sudden skyrocketed. How am I going to pay for that? And ever since I got into ministry and I, 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 I left good corporate health insurance behind i i've sat there and i've worried and worried oh, how am i going to pay for health insurance we worry and worry and worry and worry about where this money is going to come from how am i going to make it forget thinking about retirement i i don't know if i'll ever be able to retire and for some of you in here 
You might think you didn't even scratch the surface on my worries. And so Jesus looks at his disciples and he tells them this. He says, therefore, I tell you. Don't worry about your life, what you will eat about your body, what you will well wear. For life is more than food and the body is more than clothes. Consider the ravens. They don't sow and reap. They have no storeroom or barn, yet God feeds them. And how much more valuable are you than birds? Who of you by worrying can add a single hour to your life? Since you can't do this very little thing, why do you worry about the rest? You like Jesus' attitude about this whole thing? You sit and you worry and guess what your worry will do for you? Nothing. Your worry doesn't do anything for you. You worry about what's going to happen, what's coming up. And Jesus says, God is going to take care of you. And ultimately, God is going to be your eternal salvation. That's why last week when we talked about our prayer, we asked for our daily bread. We don't sit and think about weeks ahead or years ahead. We think about God help us today. Because our worrying isn't going to speed it up. It's not going to speed that paycheck up any faster. And so what we learn is to be rich towards God. What does that mean? Jesus explains that a little bit. In order to be rich towards God, in verse 31 he says, but seek His kingdom and these things will be given to you as well says, don't be afraid, little flock, for your father has been pleased to give you his kingdom. He says, sell your possessions, give to the poor, provide purses for yourself that will not wear out, a treasure in heaven that will never fail, where thieves come, where no thieves come near, no moths destroy. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So to be rich towards God is for us to open our eyes and to see people in need. And when we see people in need, we're called to help these people in need. Not with the abundance of what someone else has, but with what God's given us. Maybe sometimes that is with our resources, but other times that's by giving our time. By giving a shoulder to lean on. God tells the story of, of, the three, of, of the three servants when the master goes away and he's given them each different things and one servant was given a lot and he did a lot with what he was given and one servant's just given a normal amount and he does a lot with the normal amount that he's given and then the last servant just saw I had so little and he was worried and he didn't know what to do and so he buries it and does nothing. And this is the idea of not being rich towards God. Jesus says the very least you could have done is put it in the bank for an investment, right? Jesus is telling us, even if you feel like you've been given just a little bit, find a way to give this to God. In the way that we live our life, in the time that we make for our God, 
in the resources that we've been given to our God. Make sure that we are rich towards God when we see needs of His people, when we see needs of His church to advance the kingdom's message. We're called to be rich towards God, meaning we're not called to sit back, take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry, but we're called to work. We're called to work in His body. We're called to work in His kingdom. We're called to look around and develop true riches. That's why he says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And so if our treasure is in doing kingdom things, we're going to have a pretty good time when we get to be with the Father in heaven because we've made eternal deposits. Living rich towards God's means seeking His kingdom. And the best way that we can seek His kingdom is we can realize that this life isn't about ourselves, but it is about Him who He sent, Jesus Christ. And as Jesus died on the cross for, for us and He was raised from our sins, we also can seek His kingdom by dying to ourselves. No longer living this idea of of an Epicurean way of thinking, but living a life in Christ Jesus, allowing our sins to be washed away, all of our sins blotted out, and we'll be found in the book of life with our God. That's what we're waiting for. If we can pray for you today or if we can help you in any way, please come while we stand and sing.